and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage. I'm your host, Greg Sobosinski, and welcome back to the show about business and some of the best beverages on the planet. Today, we're going to hear some more stories and talk strategy in the process of building, growing, and actualizing ideas and businesses, all while sipping on some drinks. Um, so today, we have a guest in the studio. Uh, this is a business that um, I came across, and it's a kind of a, a cool one. It's got a cool little niche um, in today's market. Um, we have the the owner here, owner here John Acapenny. Yes. John Acapenny. We just spoke about that. As well. <laughs> um, but this business is in the manufacturing sector. It is a business that makes, builds, and puts in place some really, really unique things. So without further ado, uh, John, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much. Doing great. Thank you. So why don't we start by uh, just giving some background on yourself, um, You know how long you've been in the industry, and what exactly you guys do in your business. Okay. So yeah, I'm 30 years plus, just dated myself. Uh, we build exhibits, uh, trade shows, museums, retail, special events uh, for any, any industry. Uh, we definitely um, found a niche. Like you said, there are a lot of companies that do this all across the country. They're large companies, uh, and we have become a sub shop to them. We are an overflow shop. And uh, so we don't have a lot of overhead. We don't have a lot of salespeople. We don't need them. We just get funneled work uh, and then stamp our client's name, who is another larger exhibit shop, on the product, ship it back to mm -hmm. them. They ship it out to their clients. So it's a great way to keep our overhead low and do great projects for huge companies. Sure. So let's take it back a couple of years. Mm -hmm. How did your career start? What, what, what was your, your history? Like what industries did you start in and how did you meander your way over to, to this industry? Sure. Sure. No, it goes all the way back to when I was a teenager. My father was a general contractor. I learned how to build stuff, you know, uh, uh, doing decks and kitchens and you name it, whatever. Um, went to school for architectural engineering co-op uh, at Drexel, went on my first co-op and decided I liked working and making money better than I did going to school. <laughs> a lot so, of people, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I actually walked out on a full scholarship, which wow. my parents weren't real happy about. I'm one of nine and, uh, you crap. know, to not have to pay for one for school was awesome to them. And yeah, you know, uh, I did go back, uh, and, and did night classes and, and tried to finish, but it just wasn't me. Yeah. If we could jump into that for a yeah, second. Sure. I think that's an issue that a lot of people have these days mm -hmm. is they might have an idea. They might be super young, even mm -hmm. like in college age, like you're saying, and they might want to go off and, and do something mm -hmm. that's not the normal course. Nowadays, right. everyone just kind of goes to college. What was that conversation like with your parents? <laughs> How not, they... not a great one. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess looking back on that now, mm -hmm. what, what insights do you have and how do they think mm -hmm. about some of this stuff. Yeah. I just, I've never been one to follow the, the, um, beaten path. You know, I just always saw opportunity or other ways and just kind of wanted to, to follow my own drum, you know, um, back to high school, I had teachers that told me, man, you would never make it in the army. Cause I just mm -hmm. can't follow authority. And I'm like, well, you know, I can, if it makes sense, <laughs> you know, but sometimes it doesn't make sense. So I, right. I do my own thing. And, uh, you know, it, you struggle through the early years. You know, I, I worked my butt off and, and did whatever job I could, but always in the field. I, I actually, when I left college, I worked in a lumberyard for a while. I learned 
all kinds of materials. I learned about hardware. I learned about how things go together and what you can and can't do with, with stains and different finishes. And I mean, it's just everything I did, you know, was, was leading me to where I am in one way or another, even though it's kind of not direct path, you know, but um, yeah, it was just a, an easier way for me to learn from the ground up, you know, getting my, my uh, boots muddy and just figuring it out and uh, a lot of help along the way and had some doors opened, which was great. So I guess you could say you're a learner by doing. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, I tried school. I really did. And, and I definitely, but I, it was, it was difficult at Drexel because a lot of the professors were uh, foreign speaking and mm. I had a lot of trouble with the accents and gotcha. sitting in a class with, or an auditorium with 300 students and having them speak over, you know, an, an intercom type system made it even more. So I'm teaching myself back in my dorm, how to do physics and calculus. And, and I'm just like, why am I here? Even though I'm, I'm not really paying for it. Why am I here teaching myself this stuff and, and wasting my time when, you know, I'd, I'd much rather be doing something with my hands. Do you think that is a, not a problem per se, but do you think that is too common nowadays where people feel like they have to learn from somebody talking at them versus learning by just kind of jumping in? I guess it's a, a personal preference. You know, some people are, are learn from books and, and from instruction and others like to just, you know, trial and error, get your hands dirty, you know, and, and see how it goes. So, you know, I, what I, what I feel for are these, these kids that go to college because that's the path. That's what you do. You graduate high school, you pick a college, you invest or your parents invest, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And then you try to find a job when you get out and maybe it's in your field, what you, you know, mastered in or, 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 and maybe it's not. And maybe now you're working just to pay off your student loans. So hmm. I didn't go that route. I didn't have that huge debt, you know, uh, coming out of college and then you're, you're kind of pigeonholed into what you can do. I think that the mindset of the process you went through of you went to school, you evaluated it, decided mm -hmm. it wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. And then you moved into trying your hands at a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. How was that emotionally? Because I think a lot of people have this inkling that, oh, it's not what everyone's doing. And they kind of, it kind of doesn't sit with them quite that well. So how does the emotional side of, hey, making a big decision like that and pivoting, you know, was, was that some emotional turmoil there for you or not really? I think having some some practical experience and and background in some construction, mm -hmm. uh, you know, working since I was twelve, you know, I would do summers with my dad, you know, just doing whatever, you know, cleaning up trash around job site, you know, things like that. I always had something to fall back on, so I had that security of uh, I could make money if I need to, you know, I, I don't have to to chase a, a job, a job or a dream or whatever. I can just kind of you know get by until I figure out what I do want to do. So. I didn't have any pressure and it was freedom for me. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your, your work now? I had this conversation on a couple of the podcasts so far and people get pigeonholed sometimes mm -hmm. into areas where they either it's, it's a, it's a job, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about how you've grown in this industry mm -hmm. and how you've settled in? Um, would you say it's at that intersection of, of opportunity and, and passion for you? I can tell you that I didn't know this industry existed mm. until I got into it. Uh, I kind of fell into it backwards. When I was 14, a freshman in high school, I took a mechanical drawing class 
And I fell in love with drawing and just figuring out how things go together and dimensioning things and, and the notes and just drawing parts and pieces and, and different things. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to be an architect. Right. And that's what I decided I was going to do. And, and I knew that from freshman in high school. Uh, I, that's, I went to school for architectural engineering because that also brought into structure and, you know, uh, things that, that aren't just design, you know, I like design, but I like structure. And, and, you know, so, um, you know, architectural engineering was, was my plan, my path. And then, you know, my first co-op doing that uh, was like, wow, I'm learning more here than I was in school. I don't have to teach myself. I'm getting training and I'm making money. So, you know, I didn't go back to school and then took a job as a draftsman, um, which then led me into this industry, you know, that the um, exhibits and, and trade shows and museum uh, displays and all that was that first job when I was not first job, but the, the job I started when I was, I believe, 23, hmm. something like that. So so describe uh, the overall business model, if you could. So my understanding, and we spoke briefly about this already, was you have companies who, who need things built, mm-hmm. whether that's displays, um, signage, whatever that is, right. and you guys build those things to mm-hmm. keep things simple. Um, and then you ship those places and you have another operation that's like a sister company to your main company Mm -hmm. and they set things up so just again let me just rewind here so the business is called liberty design and exhibits displays 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 and exhibits and then the other uh sister company is on the scene on the scene okay um and it's interesting because the manufacturing industry has always enticed me Mm -hmm. reason being is so many people have ideas but you need someone to make it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Like you think of somebody who has, oh, I have an idea for a water bottle company. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. You're basically just a marketing company, but somebody else is actually making it. Right. So you guys make the stuff. Correct. And that's always fascinated me because it's so cool to have an idea and knowing somebody who can actually bring that idea to life and to market. Right. Um, and that's something I've experienced in other side hustles that I've kind of experimented with. But describe that process for you of, you know, it's it's one thing to, to be a cog in a corporate wheel, but it's another thing to not only have an idea and build something with your hands, but have that idea actualized. It goes yeah. from idea to physical thing. Yeah. So I would love to hear your, you know. Oh, it's an incredible experience. It, it's great to, if I have the idea or somebody else has the idea, a client brings a design to us. And I get a picture of what they want it to look like. I'm like, okay, now I have to build that and make it look like that. Who's engineering this? Who's figuring out what materials, what sizes, what, you know, how does it go together? How do you know? And then, okay, I'm going to build it in my shop, but I have to get it to San Diego. And then, you know, I have to bring it through a doorway that may be 30 inches wide. So you got to think all the way through the end of the installation and, and then the durability of the, you know, is it going to be, uh, able to withstand whatever the traffic is and, and you know, how long right. is it going to be there? Is it a permanent or a temporary, you know? So uh, there's so much that goes into from, from the first picture that you get of something. Uh, and then, you know, I, I take that picture and I open the screen and I open my drawing program and I'm like, okay, well, it's about this big. Let me draw a box and then let me build in from that box and, and figure out how it all goes together and what it's made out of. Yeah. And I think it's, it's fun. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I think, as much as people like comfort and just getting a paycheck, mm-hmm. it's another thing to have that challenge every day. 
It's a different type of satisfaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a different design all the time. Everything changes. The clients we work with, there is so much variety. And, you know, I get to, yeah, I'm doing the same process, but not really because I have to, I'm challenged constantly with new things and, and designers come up with some really crazy stuff. But if you can think it, you can draw it, I can build it. Um, so what, what's your operation look like as far as a staffing? How, how many people do you need to, to hold, a, hold together an operation like this? Sure. Well, like I said, we, uh, we don't have a lot of overhead because we don't have salespeople. We don't have graphic designers. We don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the drafting now, a lot of the engineering. Uh, I'm trying to find somebody. I'm training a kid right now, actually, right out of uh, high school. And I'm bringing him in as an intern right now. We're paying him. And uh, he'll go to college next year. But we're training him through the summer. Uh, and he's going to learn how we do it. So he gets practical experience in his majors going from mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while he's at college, he can do work for us as a freelancer. So he can have a job, have a pay on his, you know, I, I send him, you know, some specs. I say, Hey, I need this done by next Thursday. Can you get some drawings done and send back to me? And including, uh, you know, layouts and programs for our CNC machine so we can cut parts. And I'm teaching him uh, today actually was his first day doing the tooling and the programming for the CNC yep. machine. And it's great. It's rewarding experience to, to be able to give back like that. Sure. And like, even from a operation standpoint, mm -hmm. it's super nice to be able to be that lean. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. Like yeah. a lot of businesses, they, they struggle, especially in economic downturns when right. they have too much overhead, either the rent's too high. They have too many fixed costs right. that they have to maintain. But if you can strip away some of that, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's a recipe for a great business yeah, model. We, we all wear 18 hats. You know, I have two people in accounting and I have two full-time people in the office, one other than myself. And all of that funnels through us and out to the shop. And, you know, we, we ramp anywhere from six to 15 guys out in the shop as needed. And then on the road, the same thing. If we need, depending on how many jobs are installing any given week or month, you know, we, we bring in people, temp people that we know and we work with and we share work with. If I'm busy and they're not, they come work for me. If they're busy and I'm not, I give them a couple of my guys. So we, we keep our overhead low because we don't have a ton of full-time guys, mm -hmm. um, you know, but we have a, a network and we have a roster that we can call, you know, 30 different guys and say, Hey, I need two guys next week to go to DC and install this job. Are you guys available? No. Okay. I'll call the next guy until I get, you know, each job filled like that. So we keep the overhead very low, but we keep our network huge. Yeah, that's great. The, the process of building and growing and scaling, how has that looked like over the years? It seems to keep your operation pretty lean mm -hmm. um, as far as bringing on new, pr new projects and things of that nature. Maybe speak to which, which industries you, you generally work with if you have like a, a segment and then um, you know, the, the process of how those things come to life. Sure. It, it's crazy. I was just looking at it today. The industries that we service, name one. All of them, <laughs> you know, it's insane. And you look on great grocery stores. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Kroger. Yeah. Uh, we've done stuff for giant. We, you know, ShopRite. There, there's name a grocery store and we probably built something for them. Campbell's displays, Campbell soups displays. I I've worked on and put in stores, you know? So. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you if you give us some, uh, some of the cool projects that you guys have done. Cause I, I you've shown me some of them separately and yeah. I mean, you guys do some really, really cool stuff. We have so much fun. We get to do great projects and the guys, the guys love coming to work because they don't know what they're working on next. And it's just, you know, really cool. Right now we're doing a, um, uh, something for comedy central. It's a oh, kiosk sweet. that we're building and we're shipping out to LA. 
Uh, they're going to be set up in a plaza outside of a mall for three days and then taken down and put back in the storage until the next event. Uh, the client actually wants us to build them, put them in a truck, drive them out there ourselves, set them up, wait three days, take them down, put them back in the truck, drive them home. And he's willing to pay that because he does not want these out of our site for a minute. So normally we would ship it out and fly a guy out there. Right. He's like, nope, you guys are taking them. We're like, okay, you, they realize how much more that's going to cost. He's like, give me the tag, give me the price tag. And, and fine. so that's what we're doing. I mean, it doesn't matter what it takes to get the job done. We do it. You yeah. Know? You guys were involved in some of the um, NFL draft stuff a couple of years yep. back, correct? Yep. We, we helped in uh, Philly in 2017. We were in Chicago in 2016. Uh, we built all of the tables uh, that went into the Franklin Institute in Philly that all the teams sat at and made all their choices from, uh, along with some graphics and some other things. Chicago, I think we put up seven miles worth of graphics on fencing all Whoa. around all around Grant Park. It My was insane, gosh. insane, among a bunch of other things. There are other smaller events that happen around the draft that aren't actually on stage at the draft. Sure. So there's parties here and there and, and different events. So we, we assist with all of that as well. Um, and I, if I recall, you also did something else pretty cool at the Franklin Institute recently. Is that right? Uh, there's the Harry Potter experience there right now. So uh, there's another company that we worked for, another exhibit company that called us and asked us to assist with some overflow work, uh, which we did. And uh, they gave us about three weeks to build the gift shop. So wow. yeah, from, from initial call to installing it was three weeks. And uh, yeah, there were no designs. So it's like, we wanted to look like this. Okay, there are no production drawings or anything. So, you know, we kind of cranked it out and made it happen. So what does that look like in-house for you as far as a, a timeline? So for any size project, obviously, it probably depends on you know, the scale, of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. But what, what are you looking at as far as a turnaround time for some of these? Yeah, I mean, anywhere from two weeks to, you know, nine months. You know, it depends on the size of the project and, and the scope. And, uh, you know, we're doing Children's Museum, which will take a year. To, to design and build and, and install children to museum. Uh, but we did the, the entire museum. Sometimes we'll do a, a, like one gallery or there'll be every gallery, you know? Wow. So uh, yeah, I've, I've done stuff when I, I've worked for other companies prior to me starting my own business. So when I did that, I would do, you know, uh, I, the last one I did uh, before I went out on my own was a 13 gallery education center at Mount Vernon in uh, Virginia for George Washington at his home. Wow. And it was an amazing project. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter about your paycheck on that a job like that. You walk in there when it's all done and you walk around and the pride that you feel that you were part of this and it'll be there for generations to see and watching the kids come through and looking at all this stuff and reading about the history about George and, and everything around Mount Vernon. And uh, it's just so rewarding. It's just an incredible feeling. And, you know, the paycheck, like I said, pales in comparison. What's, what's your, your favorite project that you've had a part in over, over your tenure? I mean, I think there's, I mean, we've already spoken about some pretty incredible ones, yeah, but yeah. I mean, is there, is there one that sticks out as like, holy crap, that, that was sure incredible. Sure. I was with uh, another company before I started uh, OTS and I built a studio for the Today Show that traveled to the Olympics uh, back in 2004. I uh, went to Athens, did that. Uh, two years later, went to Torino, set up the same studio. It was a, a um, knockdown. I mean, it was a complete building, air conditioned and electric and pouring concrete uh, foundation. And then after the Olympics, you break it all, you pack it all up, put it back in the ocean containers and then cut up all the concrete and take it out. So it's like you were never there. Yeah. So it's, it's a temporary 
a permanent temporary structure. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so I've gone to the Olympics almost every two years since 2004. And it's pretty amazing. That's sweet. I, I think with work like this, it's, it's a very, it makes you feel a lot of pride. Absolutely. Some of the stuff you make. Absolutely. I imagine also if say there was an artist who made a really cool painting that was adored mm-hmm. by many people, mm-hmm. but no one knew who the artist was. It was mm-hmm. anonymous, but they knew that they did it. Yeah. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, do you think that you guys get the recognition that you might deserve from doing these things? Or is that just, hey, we know that we did it and it was an awesome, it's an awesome yeah. thing that we made here. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. It's, it's, I'm a very behind the scenes kind of guy. Right. Um, so I, I have a, a gentleman that works for me, George, who is my operations manager currently. Uh, and he is the face of the business. He is mm-hmm. a salesman at heart. Uh, but he, he wears a lot of hats and, you know, the pride that I feel is enough for me. You know, I don't need recognition. I don't, you know, it's not what I'm about. We did a, an exhibit in New York once that won, you know, an amazing award. It's been a lot of years. So forgive me, but I don't remember what it was exactly, but I recall being on the job site the last three days, getting it ready for the gala that was opening, mm-hmm. uh, the opening night. And I was pushing the job box through the back doors as people are walking in, in their tux for this gala. And, um, my, my wife, girlfriend at the time brought my suit up to New York for me because I didn't go home and I'd work, you know, three days straight, 72 hours to get it done. Went up in the director's office, changed into my suit, came back down. The people I worked for at the time were there receiving all this, you know, praise and, oh my God, you guys did a great job. And here I am in the back of the room, you know, yeah, I'm actually the one that did it all, Mm. but there's the owners up there getting the recognition. I just said, great. You know, I had a drink. I said goodbye to everybody. And I went home. I don't, I don't look for the recognition. I don't need it. You know, I know what I did and I'm proud of it. And it's, you know, it's a great rewarding experience for me. What are some of the biggest um, hiccups? I'm sure you've had your your fair share of those over the years, both maybe in terms of specific projects, but also in terms of growing the business, scaling the business, and maybe just particular segments of time that for some reason, either in that stage of growing or during those couple of years, things were just, just rough. And then how did you kind of mm-hmm. get through that? So manpower has always been an issue. Finding the right people, and fitting the, the business model. Um, our culture is, is paramount. Everything that we do is, is as a team effort. Uh, everybody jumps in, everybody wears a lot of hats. Finding the right guys with the right attitude and that all kind of fit together and, and work as a team is probably one of the biggest struggles we've had. Uh, at one point I had you know 35 guys on my roster and I was doing five, six installs at, at any given time. And sending them all out there and trusting each team to do their job uh, started to become difficult. You start getting a little bit of black eye on a job, you know, where it doesn't go exactly the way you want it to, or it doesn't come in on time or on budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing that we completely pride ourselves on is we are always on time. We are always at or under budget and the quality never suffers. And, and most companies will tell you pick two out of three, right? Speed, quality, price. Right. We, we strive for all three. And, you know, having that many guys and that many jobs going on really made that difficult to, to keep that quality level and, and the uh, budgets and the timelines. I scaled back to 10 guys. It was just, it was getting too big and it was wrong. So I said, you know what, I'm going to turn work down. I'm going to scale down to my core 10 guys and we're going to rebuild it. And we, we've all seen that. We've seen businesses that have either 
scaled too quickly, mm-hmm. gotten to a point where you know, this isn't the same quality product that you were producing years back. Exactly. And then for, for you personally, I mean, even though you say you're a behind the scenes guy, mm-hmm. you still feel that. You know what I mean? You, oh, don't, sure. you don't want a, a client coming back and saying, Not at all. this project, you know, it, it's, it's it's a rung down from what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about that for a second, because I think people, when they think building a business and growing and scaling, mm-hmm. the direction's always up bigger, better. But I think that there's this sweet middle ground Mm -hmm. where you could have an excellent business. You can earn a good living. Your team doesn't suffer in in quality. You keep that quality. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe speak to that a little bit more because I think that's a super important point because I think sometimes we have this go, 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 but Mm -hmm. but for what? If, If the business, what the business is set out to do, if that suffers, then it seems to be a time to pare back a little bit. Absolutely. Which is what we did. You know, I slow play everything. You know, I, I make sure that I am, everything is calculated. You know, I won't, I'll take risks, but they are calculated risks and I will grow, but conservatively and knowing that I'm not going to bite off more than I can chew. You know, I will never overpromise and underperform exactly the opposite. I will underpromise and overperform. And that's how you get happy clients. You keep the clients and word spreads. Reputation is huge. And we don't market at all. I don't need to market because our reputation, repeat customers and word of mouth. What's really nice in the industry is uh, it's very incestuous. A lot of companies, uh, a lot of employees jump from company to company in the industry. Hmm. And when they do, they remember us and they bring us to the new company. So, and even if they leave that company, I've now gotten in and left an impression with them, done a job. So our, our growth has been through reputation, performance. So keeping that performance high essentially is your marketing. Exactly right. So instead of just growing for the sake of growing, we're going to just produce that that product that's so exceptional mm-hmm. that the marketing kind of takes care of itself. Right. We can't be ignored anymore. We are we have the reputation where, you know, we are a, a key cog in the larger company's performance. You know, we pull our weight and then some. For companies who or people who own companies who might be listening to this. How do they get to that point? It seems like it can't all happen at once. It's almost like a slow burn as yeah, far as getting yeah. there. In the beginning, I took any job that came across my desk just to try and fill the the uh, the weeks, you know, and make sure that we had work for all the guys, um, you know, and it, and it's tough to do that. And uh, I had a guy that worked for me um, that couldn't stand next to me when I was talking to clients because his facial expression and his his body language was, you know, I don't lie to my clients, never have. But if they say, hey, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I built three of them last week. I didn't, but I know I could. So, and then I figure out how to do it, you know? So, right. but his face next to me was you like, tell the truth. you got to go away. <laughs> man. Gotta go. So I didn't lie to get to where I am, but I, I know I can do it. I was confident that we could do it. And sure. I, I just, you know, put myself out there. I took risks in the beginning like that. And uh, now it's, you know, I've turned jobs down. I've actually turned down four jobs already this past two weeks. Uh, because we're just at capacity, unfortunately, um, which, you know, we're, we're trying to grow again. We're looking for another building, a larger building. I've just hired three more guys. So, you know, we, we want to accommodate everyone and do all the jobs, but you, you got to pick and choose sometimes. I won't take a job and then fail. I won't tell a client what they want to hear. Yes, I'll have it done for you and then not have it done. I will not ever do that. Sure. This might be a good time to talk about specifically We've gone through kind of the what of what mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. What is your vision for the future? You've kind of had this progression where initially you're saying, you know, you had to take 
all these jobs just to fill the docket for the mm-hmm. week. You slowly progress more into projects that you you like working on or mm-hmm. really interesting projects like the Olympics, the NFL, et cetera. Going forward, what is your ultimate vision of how you see the the mission, the mission mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, of liberty? Wow. Um, so big question, I know. Yeah, I it is. It is. I, we do have vision. We do have long-term goals and plans. Uh, right now, we are primarily a wood shop. Last year, we added a metal division. So we're, we're currently doing metal. Uh, we're looking to add other facets of the industry. You know, I'd like to do acrylic in-house. We don't do much finishing, painting in-house. We don't have power coating in-house. So my, my goal in the next two years is to move into a larger space and add all of these other uh, departments and be able to be full service, uh, not just you know, fabrication and laminating and, and uh, things of that nature. We want to be able to do it soup to nuts. Yeah. In one of our previous conversations, or um, you, you spoke about how you want to get back to some of the, the pre-pandemic mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. Are, are we there yet? Have we you? are. Yeah. We are. <laughs> we, we survived the pandemic. Um, it was difficult, but fortunately, we also have storage and those base uh, bills kept getting paid. So the storage bills uh, and, and the money coming in from that kept the lights on, which was great. Yeah. We got a few little jobs that happened through the pandemic that weren't industry related. They were more um, specialized jobs. They weren't uh, museums and they weren't trade shows because that was all shut down, uh, which kept my guys on board as well. So nobody got laid off and nobody uh, lost their job and everybody kept their benefits through the pandemic, which was amazing. We were we were thrilled to be able to do that. What, so. what was going through your head when that whole thing first started going down as a business owner, not only yeah. for, for yourself, sure. and this is kind of like the legacy that you're building, mm-hmm. but also for, you know, your employees and some of their, their families. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the key is, is their families, my employees and their families and making sure that this is going to survive beyond me. You know, it's not about me and, and it can't be, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, what happens to the business? So I, sure. it's always been about the stability and the foundation and you know, all the people involved and everything I do is about the, the guys, you know, they get paid before I do. If I don't get a paycheck one week, I don't get a paycheck. I'll, I'll survive one way or another. I make sure all my people are taken care of and always have. Do you think that business owners who are in a position like you, how do you think they have to value their employees in times such as the pandemic we just went through? Um, as far as, you know, to some businesses, I'm guessing, there's their business on one hand or, you know, keeping their employees afloat. Like, how do they, how do they balance that? Like, I, I know the emotional yeah. turmoil side of things where it's like, I might have to fire some people to keep the business afloat for myself. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the same time, these are some really good employees that I hope we can pull through this, come out on the other end. And I want them to be here. Right. Um, it's kind of like you're, you're juggling balls in the air sure. and, you know, talk to people who might be interested in issues like that. And, if you have any processes that you run through in order to come to an answer or a conclusion on those. Yeah, it was a tough one. Uh, in the, in the first year, um, the government was offering the, the, um, loans that were forgiven, yeah, the right? PPP, the, the PPP loans. loans, right. I didn't want it. Yeah. I, I, I was, and it wasn't a pride thing. It's more of, well, maybe it is, you know, I didn't want to hand out, <laughs> um, and, and I'll make it all my own kind of thing. So that was right. my attitude. Uh, and I wanted to make sure I could take care of all my employees. They could stay, you know, employed with their benefits and their families were taken care of. So, um, we didn't, uh, didn't take the, the PPP the first year. Uh, 
you know, originally it was supposed to be, hey, we're going to shut down for two weeks, right? right? That's what everybody thought yeah. in the beginning. So, you know, in, in February, you know, we're like, all right, we're going to, you know, muddle through until we see what happens. Well, March turns around and, and it was March 18th, 2019, right? That, that uh, 2019, yeah. Yeah. That uh, we said, look, we got to shut down. We sent a job out to a trade show and it came back the next day. They had canceled the show that night. So wow. uh, we realized, whoa, something's, it's not going to be two weeks. So we decided to to close the doors for a little while. But like I said, we kept everybody employed. We kept them paid each week and we uh, kept their benefits. Um, and we didn't take the government money. So all of the money, all the capital that the business had took care of the guys, took care of the, you know, kept the lights on and all that sort of thing. I didn't take a paycheck for a year you know, and made it so that we would survive through, through it. Fortunately, um, you know, in, in April of 2020, we got a call from a new potential client that brought us a job that just put us right back on the map, right where we were before it, it shut down. And it, it exploded uh, in, in April of 2020. That job led to other opportunities. And, you know, we came back stronger than we were. Uh, so many companies that had shut down, uh, their clients were looking for a new vendor. So we were there. Uh, storage opportunities came on. Uh, somebody that closed their warehouse shipped 25 truckloads of product to us to go into storage. And then it didn't move for another year, but I got paid every month for it. So we didn't have to handle it or have any expense other than you know our, our, our facility. So you have a facility where you store all this stuff as well? Correct. Yes. Gotcha. Um, so basically... Talk about cash flow for a second, because mm. I talk about this all the time. Sure, cash flow is really the most important thing when it's difficult with for anything for yeah. for running a business sure. for people in their individual planning with wealth. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's really how much money do I have that I can actually use for certain things. Right. So the way you've set your business up, it seems like you have multiple ways to bring money in. We do. You have yes. like it seems like you have your your storage area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seems like you have your design and manufacturing side which you could pay for. Mm -hmm. And then the the setup side for mm -hmm. for on the scene. Right. Um so talk about the importance of that. Because if you're a, a one trick pony mm -hmm. and something goes wrong, when these hardships come up, which inevitably they will, mm -hmm. it becomes a little more easy to steer the ship, if you will. Absolutely. Um, so how does that process go for you as far as thinking about possible tangential cash flow streams? Mm -hmm. So originally I just started OTS on the scene, which was IND, and I was only doing installations for stuff that other people built. And, you know, as we're doing these installs, uh, inevitably stuff gets shipped to a job site. We show up, we go to install it and it's wrong or it's damaged or it just doesn't fit. So our guys are, are trained to make it work. You know, we, we are not about problems. We're about solutions. We won't leave a job because it's not right. We'll fix it and make it right. Yep. So through five years of doing that, a lot of our clients are like, why aren't you just building this for us? You guys know how to do this. You know how to, you know, fix it all. Why can't you just build it right from the beginning for us? I said, well, I don't have a shop. I don't want a shop. A shop is, you know, overhead. Right. It's a it's, monster. It's back to that lean mentality. Right. Once you have a monster, you got to feed it. You got to feed it every day. So I fought it for five years and wouldn't do it. Finally got convinced, okay, start a small shop, 2,500 square feet. That's it. And, uh, you know, just cutting parts for people and building very small things, you know, not a lot, nothing, no major jobs, uh, but just starting to supplement some things. And uh, what, what, what was that point right there where you were like, hey, I think I have to do this shop? 
Yeah. Um, a, a buddy of mine who worked in another shop was like, yo, I want to start, you know, my own shop. I want to start this business. You know, business, you know how to do this. I know how to build stuff. Why don't we get together and, and start this? Hmm. And I was like, man, it's just, I, so many people want to come work for me and have me start my own business. And I've been fighting it for five years. Like, I really don't want that responsibility. Now I have people that I have to make sure they're getting paid, that their families, they're not going to lose their house. I got to keep this business running and finding the work for, for shop, for fabrication isn't always easy. You know, the nice thing that I found, and this goes back to your original question, OTS, the installs were somewhat seasonal. Shop work was somewhat seasonal and they complemented each other. They didn't overlap much. Hmm. So our downtime for OTS was a busy time for the shop. And the, the larger exhibit companies needed an overflow shop, needed somebody to fill that. And I'm like, well, you know what? I can do this now. I can do the shop, get the overflow. Then we go install it. My guys are busy year round now. And then keeping them separate as two separate companies, I can support one company to the other if I need to. I, I'll funnel money back and forth as needed, you know, give myself a loan, so to speak, right. and then pay it back, you know, with or without interest, whatever we, you know, we're doing. Um, so that that's how it kind of developed about eight years ago now. So we're 13 years in business. First five was OTS and then the last eight OTS and Liberty. It's pretty remarkable how things work out because yeah. looking back now over the past couple of years, if you didn't have multiple sections of things, right. then that period might've been much more difficult. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you how I, I actually saved the, the company was saved because there's a third company. Uh, so I started a project management company, or now I'm sorry, a property management company. Uh, so we now buy properties and rent them or flip them and, and that sort of thing. So the building I'm in, I bought it through my third company and I lease it to myself for both OTS and Liberty. Gotcha. So my rent over the last two years, well, maybe we slid a month here or there. Maybe we didn't pay the sure. full amount. You know, maybe we're, you know, paying it back after right. the post pandemic. Uh, so I was able to alleviate the the rent portion through the pandemic uh, because I'm leasing to myself. So as long as I can pay the mortgage, I don't need the extra, the profit money in that company as long as everybody keeps afloat. So fortunately, we also have tenants in the building. It's a large enough building. There's, there's uh, two tenants and they cover the mortgage and the taxes. So I essentially have a free building that I'm then renting to myself and I don't have to charge that rent through the pandemic. Yeah. This is something I've thought about a lot recently. Mm. It seems like when people try to just get by, mm -hmm. like, oh, it's too much of a risk. I don't want to jump in there. Mm -hmm. It seems like you have to put some money in to play the game. 100%. So by opening that extra shop, by eventually mm -hmm. buying that building, mm -hmm. by having essentially several different cash flow streams, mm -hmm. it gives you the flexibility to be able to weather some of the hard times as well as take advantage of certain opportunities that come right, up. Right. On, on a much more small scale, I've had something similar happen recently where it's like I was putting, for lack of a better term, a few dollars into things. And I was like, if I just put a couple hundred dollars into this, then this thing can really become something. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people aren't willing to take that risk of course. to just get over the hump of where that, that growth is needed. Right. Um, so I've always found that fascinating. I've always found mm -hmm. it fascinating that the, the, the risk factor in people's minds of just getting over that little bit mm -hmm. can open you to a whole new plot of land sure. uh, 
as far as having access to new and better opportunities, which ultimately saved your business and allowed it to, right. to continue. Right. We actually grew during the pandemic. Um, you know, I don't know if you're a gambler or not. I'm not, I'm not, you know, not no. at all, but I understand gambling. And, you know, if I ever go to the casinos, I put money in my pocket that I'm willing to lose. Correct. I won't dip into my bank account or anything else. Right. So if I walk out of there with anything in my pocket, okay, I'm ahead. You know, mm-hmm. um, there was an opportunity during the, during the pandemic while we were shut down, uh, a metal shop was, uh, closing and, you know, they were looking to sell it. And I said, okay, well, I don't have the money to, to keep my business afloat and buy a metal shop right now, but this is a great opportunity. It came complete with all the equipment, inventory, a client list, ongoing projects, uh, and, and, you know, a couple of employees that can run it. And I'm like, wow, they're going to shut down because they can't do it anymore. Let me see what I can do with this. So a year ago, we, I struck a deal to buy this metal shop with the client base, with the jobs, with the material, with the inventory uh, or with the equipment and made a a three-year payment plan with no payments in the first year, get through the pandemic and then start paying for it and discount back to the company I was buying it from because it was a subdivision of another company, all the product that we'd produce, everything that we would do for them would be discounted. We would continue doing their work for them. I wouldn't touch I think there's five or 10 clients on their list that they said, look, these are protected clients. I don't want you to sell direct to them. They'll come through me still. You discount it back to me. And we'll do that for the three years that we have this contract written for. So we worked out a great deal. Both of us win. And I acquired a metal shop and expanded our capabilities during the pandemic when everything was shut down. And I I think sometimes, uh, and you can see this in, in people when either in a recession or any type of market downturn, people tend to get scared. Yep. When in fact, if you kind of keep your eyes up, there's a lot of opportunity that happens. Mm-hmm. Either people, for whatever reason, are moving on, they can't continue, which allows you to either find win-win scenarios like right. you in this metal shop right. and really make things work. Um, so I think the attention to keeping your eyes open Mm-hmm. And then having the wherewithal to take advantage of the opportunities. I mean, that's really at the the heart of being a business owner or an entrepreneur. It's, it's finding these problems that are apparently problems, but we're turning them into solutions. Right. I'm not about uh, making out on somebody else's misery. It's not about that. Sure, it's no, not, not capitalizing at all. on somebody not else's at all. loss. It's about win-win situation. Uh, I started OTS in 2009 when the recession hit. People were getting laid off all over the place, and I'm starting a business. And my wife is like, everybody I've ever known that started a business, are you, are you crazy? And I'm like, well, listen, I can go work for somebody else for half of what I was making last year, you know, because that's what's happening right now. I'm getting offers, but for half, and I can, I can go work at Home Depot and, and, you know, we can sell our house. But, you know, this is what I see as the opportunity. And, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of work and it's going to start slow, but there is a need for this. And, uh, you know, it just fortunately, I, I knew a lot of people. I, I made some phone calls and was able to get started uh, pretty quickly. Talk about your business as a subset of your life and how it enhances it. So I want to get a little bit, you know, broader here for a second, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, these are businesses. They're just mm-hmm. businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, ultimately, this business is in place to 
provide a service to the community, mm-hmm. to provide satisfaction to, to yourself as, as an owner and a, a creator of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about how your business enhances your life overall in whatever way that might be. Because I think that's a great reason to be in business for yourself. Because I think there's a lot of lifestyle things that can change and kind of the business can unlock and allow you to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So talk to that and how it how it broadens your wider vision for your life. Sure. It's, it's very difficult for me um, because if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a workaholic. Sure. And I have been since I was 12 years old. Yeah. So separating work and, and life, family life, home life is always a struggle for me. Uh, it has definitely enhanced it financially. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, you have some good years and bad years though. you have some down years where you're, you know, your paycheck to paycheck, you have good years where, you know, the business just flowing. We, when we do the Olympics, that's always a great year because it's a huge job for us and, and there's money to, you know, to share with, and that, I do that actually with the guys. If, if there's a, an opportunity to make more money, it doesn't come to me. It go and it, it, some goes to the business, but it goes to the guys because they're the ones making it happen. They're the ones that keep our clients happy. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that, that keep the business going the way it is. And they get rewarded and not just on a year end bonus. But I mean, I do parties for the guys. I do bonuses through the year. I do all kinds of stuff because you know it's about them, um, how it's enhanced my life, the freedom to, to be able to do it my way. And not that I'm right all the time. I certainly am not. I, hire, I try to hire people that are smarter than me. I want to learn from them and I want them to help me improve things. So, but, but the freedom to make the final decision is always nice and, and how we're going to do things and move ahead. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I set my own hours, you know, I work for myself, but I'm there at six 30 with the guys in the morning, you know, because I, I feel I not all the time, but when I need to be on there, when I don't need to be, I'll go in at nine o'clock. And that's a nice freedom. That's a, that's a nice thing that allows me to take my child to school in the morning and, and spend some yeah. time with her, you know, so that that's a, a big plus big perk. Um, you know, I can work remotely sometimes. So my, my wife and daughter had, COVID last week. You know, I fortunately escaped it, but I worked from home all week. I quarantined with them and I worked from home and I got done probably more work than I normally would because they were in bed for five days. So, uh, you know, what else am I going to do? When I'm, you know, so I just, I got done a lot of work and, and it, it actually helped us, you know, to, for me to stay home. So, but the freedom to spend time with my family like that is, is nice. Uh, my goal in the next few years is to buy an RV and work remotely with my wife and kids and, and travel and see the, you know, very cool. I've seen 37, 38 States, but I like to see the rest. And my wife's only seen maybe half a dozen. So you know, I, she doesn't fly. She, she has some ear issues. So flying is difficult. So I said, let's get an RV. Let's see the country. That, that's really sweet. I think having, having a business and having the ability to essentially get to a point where obviously in any business, there's going to be pieces that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Always. And being able to delegate the pieces out that you don't like mm-hmm. and then focus on the stuff that you do like, mm-hmm. that's really the ultimate goal. Sure. Because sure. with anything, you're going to find with any business, any type of job, there's going to be pieces that are going to be a pain some days. Definitely. But I'll tell you one thing I will never ask an employee to do something that I either haven't done or I'm not willing to do myself. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely things you don't like and you don't want to do. Sure. But I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. And, and my, my people will see that. You know, I lead by example, you know, I won't point the finger and I won't say you go do that. If I, again, haven't done it or I'm not willing to do it myself. Has there ever been a day when you've thought about, wow, I, it's just been really tough. 
I don't know if I can continue or has it always been, um, has your support system been there to really help drill down? No, I'm here for a purpose. I can make this work. I just got to figure out how. Interesting question. Um, when I was in 2009, the company, I had just changed companies um, right before that recession hit. So I was low man on the totem pole at the new company. I survived three rounds of layoffs before they laid me off. Um, but I got laid off in 2009. And I'm like, man, wh what am I going to do? Do I want to stay in this industry? Do I want to continue doing this? If so, where, how, uh, for who, you know, and, and for what kind of money? Because like I said, I got offers, but they were half of what I, I had been getting. So right then and there, I was like, man, I got to find something else. What am I going to do? And what do I want to do? You know, I thought about teaching. You know, I always used to tutor kids when I was in high school and yep. stuff, you know, and I'm like, maybe I could do that. You know, maybe, you know, when I was 18, I wanted to, uh, to get a big rig and, and travel across the country that way and, and just be a truck driver. And, you know, my dad's like, nope, you're not doing that. <laughs> I'm like, why not? You know, I would love to do that. But, you know, in 2009, I was married with children. So that wasn't realistic for me at that point. So, yeah, back then I thought, you know, God, do I want to go down this path? And then uh, had the opportunity to, uh, somebody called me um, and said, hey, I need some help on this job I'm doing. You, can you come up to New York for a couple of weeks and help me do this install? And I'm like, sure. So I did it. And I was like, hmm, I could do this. And, but not me do it, but run a business like this. I'm like, I know companies out of the country that come to the U.S. and do museums and things. And they're always looking for support, local support. Yeah. So I called one that, that didn't have local support and said, hey, I've done a lot of projects with you guys. We've crossed paths. Do you have anybody in the U.S.? And they said, no, we don't. I said, would you want somebody based here that can give you, you know, local support? They're like, we're going to be in New York in two weeks. Can you meet us? It's like, absolutely. I installed a job at the Metropolitan Museum of Art with my two brothers two weeks later. Wow. It was, it was incredible. Just the stroke of, of luck and the way it, it happened. That's how OTS started. But it's also, it's also being proactive. It was absolutely. You know I mean? Yeah. Because a lot of phone like, calls. You, you, yeah. could, you could have just sat back and done nothing. Right. But you were like, Hey, there, and there's something here. Maybe I'll just make some phone calls, see what happens, yeah. see what sticks. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes that stuff comes up when you're least expecting it. It did. It did. And it takes a lot of vision and a lot of uh, risk. And, and, you know, like you said, it's, it's risky to go out on your own like that in a recession and start a business. And what's funny is my wife finds out when I start a new business kind of, after the fact and in public, I, I won't tell her except when I'm, you know, we're out to dinner with friends and I'm like, Oh yeah, by the way, I, I bought a metal shop. And she's like, you did what? Like, Yeah. Well, you know, we already have five jobs in there. It's, it's supporting itself already. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always scary when I start a new venture and yeah. you know how the wife is going to react and how many more hours you're going to work this week now. And it's usually what happens in the beginning, but then it becomes self-sustaining. I put the right people in place and uh, you know, it elevates, everything that we do. You've kind of built that muscle, I'm guessing, over, over that time period, as far as having a sense for the risk profile of something. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, you kind of feel like, okay, I've been through this before. Mm -hmm. I can tell with this metal shop, it's already supporting itself. Right. I can see this being a good risk to take as exactly. far as bringing it on. Yes. There's not, there's some really good upside, not too much downside if something were to happen. Um, so that's always good. And it, right. it's like basically that, again, learning through doing. Yeah. So it goes back to your, your early education, as far as, you know, you felt you learned more by being out there right. and trying things. I think the same thing is true with that, that risk profile and really dialing in and getting a sense for that. Definitely. Definitely. 
Uh, I can tell you two of the three companies I worked for prior to starting my business. Um, I, I went to the owners and I said, listen, things aren't really going the way they should here. I see some things that we can improve, some efficiencies, some ways we can do better, make more money or, or cut costs or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of worked on a business plan on my own saying, you know, we really need to start doing this. And both times the owners said to me, well, you know, this is how we do it. This is what we want to do. I said, well, give me some more responsibility. Give me some more authority. Let me help you do this. And I don't know where that came from. Um, it's just something I knew. And after leaving both of those companies, they both closed their doors within a year. Um, mm. And I saw it going that way. And, you know, I tried to prevent it. And I wanted to stay there and I wanted to help build it both times. Uh, the first company was, was maybe a, a million dollar a year company. The second one was probably a hundred million dollar a year company. Wow. And both of them went under within a year. And not because I left, they were, they were headed that way, <laughs> but I really felt that I could help prevent that yeah. or prolong it. Maybe, maybe not prevent it, but you know, uh, maybe it was too far gone already at, at the point I, I got involved, but uh, neither one, neither owner wanted to relinquish any control. And here I am, you know, the first company, I was 27 years old, I think. And I was like, man, I, I see the potential here and I see what we can do, but you're not letting me help you. And, you know, what kind of, you know, resume do I have to, to make that statement, I guess, you know, sure. so I guess I wouldn't trust me either at that point. But yeah, for some reason, I just, it's funny. My dad was an amazing contractor. The work he did was incredible, but he was a horrible businessman. He gave away the keys to the kingdom all the time. I mean, they'd pay for a Chevy. He'd give him a Cadillac and, and that's great. And he was very proud of the work he did and he did incredible work, but he never got paid for it. And, and I think I learned that lesson from him, what not to do. Um, but I never took a business class. I never, you know, studied or, or was taught how to build a business. I kind of trial and error and just winging it all the time and take your lumps, you know, and, and learn the hard way. But what I did do was when I decided I was starting the business, the first business was called uh, Rutgers Small Business School. And I said, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I need to do. Can I meet with somebody? And uh, I have a bunch of questions. So a gentleman from the school met with me at, at the local library and we sat for three hours. So I said, look, do I need a business license? What kind of insurance do I need? What kind of, you know, payroll and workman's comp? I don't know anything. So I asked all these questions and learned it and figured it out along the way, you know, and, and just kind of did my research and got educated. And the, the biggest thing that, that I pride myself on is I play by the rules. You don't always like the rules, but you know what? It's just easier covering up yeah. or, or lying about stuff. And I do that in life, not just in business. What's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, where are you going to get by, by playing those games all the time? So everything I do is transparent, is on the books, is by the rules, you know, and it just makes life so much easier. That's those facets you just mentioned. Mm. Um, I 100% agree. I think people want to take shortcuts sometimes, but right. it always comes back to bite you. 100%. And then your other point, as far as reaching out, mm. the gentleman I had on last episode, Craig, we talked for a while about building a team. Mm -hmm. So there's certain pieces of the business that, you know, you're focused on what your business strategy is. Our, our goal is to make the best displays to get them where they got to be mm -hmm. and to build them, take them down and do that whole process. That's, that's the problem we're solving. Right. All these day-to-day -day administrative accounting, payroll, 
insurance related things. I hate it all. It's it's <laughs> it's related to you, yep. but again, that shouldn't be the the time suck. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Which is why I hire the experts. I, I bring in. I have you know the first thing I did was get an accountant, get a lawyer, get a banker, get an insurance agent, and use them for what they do. I don't know any of that stuff, so hire these people. And, and you know, I went right to a payroll service the very first year. You know, because I don't want to worry about taxes. And am I going to sure. get caught next year and have to give Uncle Sam half my you know bank? So, you know, I, I started out that way, building the business from the infrastructure for the build business before it got out of hand. What went through your mind when you reached out to Rutgers Business School mm -hmm. and started asking that guy questions? Because I mean, it's kind of like when you go, you apply at a restaurant to work and mm -hmm. like, you need to have prior experience. You're like, I don't have prior experience. Right. How do I get started? Yeah. It's kind of like that in that you don't even necessarily know exactly what questions have to be asked to find the answer. So You're you right. just need someone just to get, here's what you got to know. Here's the, some of the basics yeah. start here and you'll learn. Um, so what was going on in your head as far as reaching out? Like, why did you make that call? Because I think, I think that, that step, those steps mm -hmm. are what ultimately allow you to succeed. Absolutely. Making, Absolutely. making those yeah. steps, asking for help, right. pulling in the pieces. Mm -hmm. And again, some of that's going to be figured out as you go along, mm -hmm. but you have to get that ball started somewhere. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm humble, but I'm proud, right? I, I'm realistic and, and I'm ambitious. So, you know, taking all that and, and knowing what I don't know and being willing to ask the question and not pretend like I already know, you know, and just, and, and reaching out to, to this gentleman was, the only way to go for me, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to dive into something and I don't know how, so don't you want to watch a YouTube video and figure it out? Sure. You know, today that's what you do, right. <laughs> you know, for almost anything. Um, so I, I got to find a source that can, can instruct me. And I had some questions, but I didn't know how many questions I didn't have that he brought to the table and right. said, well, have you thought about this? Did you, you know, look into that? Did you plan for this? And I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't even no, didn't cross my mind. Yeah. So, I mean, it was absolutely 100% the right move. And anybody I know that comes to me and says, hey, I want to start a business, that's the first thing I tell them. Call Rutgers Small Business School. Ask to meet with somebody. And, and they will absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm not a commercial for them, but I mean, that's, that's exactly- <laughs> Sponsored by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's exactly what I do is say, you know, check it out and, and you know, get the information, ask your questions. Like I said, they brought more to the table than I brought because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And it seems like there's a fine line to walk there between, okay, asking some questions, getting some starter information mm -hmm. and actually starting because you right. can't just ask questions forever and never get the ball rolling. No, man, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot. You got to be diligent. You got to be self-disciplined. You got to be motivated and, and you just got to follow through, you know? And I mean, there are things that I don't know. And, you know, lots of times you're afraid of the things you don't know. Right. And sure. you're like, Oh my God, I don't want to sound dumb. I don't want to you know, uh, appear like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not proud like that. You know, I don't have an ego. I, I just want to, you know, do it right. And, and I yeah. want to figure it out. I want to learn. And like I said, I hire people smarter than me. I don't pretend to know everything and have all the answers. This person, I didn't go to school for accounting. So I hire somebody that can teach me, you know, and, and she was on the, you know, you go to a graduation, college graduation, you got 3000 kids graduating from this college, right? And there's like 10 up on stage with all the, uh, the, the braided things all the time. She's one of them, right? So, yeah. I mean, oh my God, I fell into, you know, hiring this person that is just incredible. I couldn't pick a better person. And, and my operations manager, George, same thing. 
he just, he gets it. He understands my business philosophy, what we want to do, what we're trying to accomplish and the culture that we have created. And the three of us, it's funny. It's, it's, this is the, the tripod that supports our entire organization. And last year, I, I actually contracted COVID last year and I was out, uh, I was in the hospital for a week and it took me a full three months to come back to work wow. and, and it, not even in a full-time capacity. Uh, up until recently, uh, over a year now, I have not been full-time. Uh, it, it's been a struggle, uh, but George and, and Jaina picked up the ball and kept it going. And I realized during those three months that I wasn't even there that, man, they can do this without me now. They've been, Jaina's been with me, I don't know, five or six years, George, seven or eight. And George started on the road as OTS installing for me part-time. He had his own business and I'd bring him in and say, Hey, I need you for two weeks. Can you do this job? And he'd go do it with a couple other guys. And he, I saw the potential there and I brought him in the office and says, Hey, you want to learn what I do and maybe be a project manager. And, and then I saw, man, this guy's a salesman. He, he's a pretty decent project manager, but he is a salesman at heart. So having the two of them at the core of the business and, and the way that they are able to relate to the guys and support the guys and make them feel, you know, there's no separation from front office to shop. Lots of places you go, management and employees, huge wall. Not in our business, not at all. Open door policy. And I mean, I'm out in the shop every day, talking to the guys, seeing what they're doing. We do, uh, we, we grill out back during the summer. You know, we, one of the guys knocks off half hour before lunch, throws some burgers and dogs on, and we'll grill two or three times a week. And we're all out there eating together. You know, it's just, it's an amazing culture. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't do it without, and during those three months, I'm like, man, they are running this business without me. This is awesome. Maybe I'll retire. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, we, we have so much work now. It's come so far that until I can hire the right people to fit into this, this um, structure that we have, you know, I'm, I'm staying involved and in, in, I'm actually the draftsman now. I'm the mechanical engineer. I'm the guy doing all the, the figuring and, and getting it out to the shop. And that's the guy I need to hire next to, to alleviate me so I can look big picture again and, and find the new building that we're going to move into. Sure. So, but it's a tight group and, and everybody pulls their weight and then some. I've had a lot of conversations recently about business owners who've had a hard time either finding new employees mm -hmm. to bring on or keeping their current employees. So mm -hmm. like they're, they're real breadwinners at the company. Mm-hmm. How do you approach that? It seems like you have a few employees who you really want to keep on board. Right. What have you employed to really keep those people there as well as look, hey, in this environment, how am I finding new people to bring on? Sure, sure. It's absolutely tough to, to find the right people and to keep the right people. Uh, again, transparency, open door policy. Everybody knows what the company is, what it's about, where it's going, what we want to do, and how they fit into it what their part is and how they're also going to benefit. Mm -hmm. It's not about the money. Uh, you would think it is, right? People are always yeah. about their paycheck and a raise and this and that. It, that's part of it, of course, always will be. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the culture and, and loving your job, coming in and liking the people you work with and what you do every day. You spend more time at work than any other activity, right? Other than maybe sleeping, but, you know, um, these guys love coming to work and they love what we do and they love the direction of the company because they're aware of it and they're a part of it. I ask them, I ask every employee, what do you think? What do you need to do your job better? What do you think the company should be able to do? You know, Hey, we got a metal shop, but we have to send out for power coding. We great. If we had a power coding booth in here. Okay. Let's, let's work towards that. 
you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. I don't have space for it. You know, we got to be able to afford it, all that kind of stuff. But definitely, let's put that in the plan. So they're all part of the company and they all feel that, you know, it's, it's not top down, it's bottom up, you know, everybody contributes and everybody gets rewarded. You know, quite honestly, I hate money. I absolutely hate money. Money just brings problems, right? So when the company gets money, it trickles to the guys, you know, uh, Reaganomics, right? Trickle down. Uh, I still believe in it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody gets, gets benefits, you know, when the jobs do well, the guys do well. And so they want the jobs to do well. They're invested as much as I am and they get rewarded as much as I do. And sometimes more. Yeah. Building a culture seems to be very important these days. 100%. People are willing to take a pay reduction mm-hmm. in order to have an environment right. that they feel comfortable in, that they feel like they're doing something towards a larger, a larger goal. Right. Who wants to be miserable in the morning on your way to work? You know, right. enough happens during the day to get you miserable. Right. You don't need to start out that way. You know, I wake up every day on purpose and I wake up every day expecting a good day and planning for a good day. Stuff happens all the time, you know, but you roll with that and you start the next day with the same attitude. It's going to be a good day. I'm happy and I'm doing it on purpose. Yeah. A question I'll ask a lot of people either at like social events or business networking events is, you know, if, if money weren't an issue for you, what would you spend your time doing? And it generally leads them to some type of um, get some thinking. You know, if I could take a 25% reduction in, in pay, but I could do this job, would I make that switch? And I ran into a gentleman who um, works in the financial space. And I asked him, you know, if you could do anything with your time hmm. and take a small pay reduction, say of 25%, what would you be doing? He said he would make surfboards for 15 hours a day. Cool. I know. And it's cool. what it got me thinking. It's like, you know, that. As, as much as work is is a piece of our lives, it's super, super essential. There's also those things that we fill our, our empty time with. Hmm. And if we can find a combination, again, you're not going to like everything about the job, hmm. but if you can find something that is both rewarding and can give you decent pay and you're happy doing it, nine times out of 10, people are very predisposed to pick that option. Sure. That's a win all day long. Absolutely. Um, So maybe let's take a break here for a second. Um, I want to, we haven't gotten much to the the beverage section of this show. (laughs) (laughs) We've just been talking, but um, so I asked you prior to the show, what your favorite beverage was. Mm -hmm. And you gave me an answer. You said Arizona iced tea. Yep. Green tea. Green tea. Green tea. Yes, sir. Why, why is that? How how did you, how did you arrive there over the years? Um, I saw my cousin drinking it (laughs) a long time ago. And I'm like, what is that green tea? What? It's kind of a cool can. I, I do like it. This. Is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The 99 cent, the tall. Yeah. The tall yeah, yeah sure. Sure. And they recently said they will not increase that uh, despite the, the inflation and everything going on. Keep and, it at 99 cents. They're saying it's staying at 99. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, that's my drink. I, I don't know. It just, I, I got hooked on it. It sounds like Arizona has a pretty strong consumer base. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, they've branched out to, they, they have the varieties now. It's not just iced tea. You know, they do. A watermelon uh, drink, and they do all kinds of flavors. So, you know, and variety is, is huge. So when, when do you, so specifically the green tea, you said, mm-hmm. do you dabble in any of the other varietals? When I can't find the green tea. When you can't find sure. the green tea. Sure. And um, what is the the setting of this? Is this a, a drink that you have at any time when it's at your disposal or is it more of a, a work thing? How, how do you fit this beverage into your, into your, into your work? Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to do the whole diet thing. So it has been reduced gotcha. substantially. So now it's a treat for me. 
Uh, I do water all day long and uh, coffee in the morning and usually a, a coffee at night. So twice a day coffee, water all the rest of the time and maybe twice a week now I'll, I'll, I'll get a green tea. So would you say, would you, do you like green tea better than water? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if I could drink only that, that's what I would do. Yeah. That's funny. Cause I, I've had two previous guests who, um, you know, I, I, they've suggested they wanted to drink a certain type of beer on the show. And I was like, oh yeah, we'll drink that. Mm-hmm. And then I asked them what their favorite beverage is thinking they're going to say beer. And then they say it's water. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. But no, that's, that's good to hear. You stick mm-hmm. to your guns. Uh, right. I, I also do like the, the green tea. It is pretty, it is pretty great. Yeah. I haven't had it in a while. You're making me want to run out and get yeah, one. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I should have brought a couple for us. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so maybe before we, we close out here, give us a look into um, the day-to-day. I think sometimes things get lost in the shuffle of, you know, building business, scaling, mm-hmm. growing. Mm-hmm. What does it look like when you, you know, nuts and bolts, morning to evening, what, what does the day look like for you? Sure. Okay. Well, you never know when you're getting a phone call. So you right. could be in the middle of a planned day and all of a sudden it's turned upside down. So yeah. That happens almost every day. You know, you, you, I get done half of what's on my list by the end of the day. So now I'm working late at night. You're you right. Know, you got to so. get used to being interrupted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's why working from home actually works out great. You know, so yeah. I don't have as many, but, uh, you know, we go in the morning, uh, usually at the end of the day or first thing in the morning, we'll get the group together and say, okay, either continue what you were working on yesterday or here's your new project for today. Get everybody going. Uh, and then I'll go over my, my uh, goals for the day, George and I'll sit together and, and talk about what we want to accomplish, which projects, which clients he's going to be talking to and, and which ones I'm looking at and focusing on. Uh, we have, is that, is that an everyday occurrence? Just about, just mm-hmm. about. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it'll be ongoing carrying over from the day before things like sure. that. Uh, but we check in with each other throughout the day constantly, whether it's I'm at home or, or in the office. How does that make an impact? You think if so, say you reduce that to once a week, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Communication is, is, is yeah, that, that's paramount. Our, that's what I want to here. Yeah. Have to communicate. Um, and with accounting too, you know, it's not just the operations and production in the shop, but it's, you know, Hey, the clients pay their bills so we can make payroll this week. So we're, we're following up. Sometimes George is calling his clients. I'm calling clients saying, Hey, you guys are 30 days. You're supposed to be 30 days. You're 45. Can you, can you get a check in the mail to me? You know? So we do that too. So the communication through all three of us is, is huge. There, there's no way we'd be able to, you know, survive without it. So, yeah. Um, so we're going to do a, a quick question round real quick. Just okay. run through a bunch of quick questions, get your, um, you know, initial response that, that comes to mind for these. Mm-hmm. They're kind of both business related and a couple other like personal development type things. But um, what, what is the coolest thing that you've seen lately? It can be in your business or anything. The coolest thing I've seen lately. Wow. I got to tell you the, the Harry Potter experience at the Franklin Institute. I, I didn't watch, I didn't see any of the movies prior to doing that job and walking through there. I felt like I was in the movie. Hmm. It is probably the best temporary. It's a traveling exhibit. It's only at the Franklin Institute until September, I believe. Uh, it's the best well-done traveling exhibit that felt permanent to me. And it, I watched four of the movies so far after doing that. <laughs> it just, it was incredible. It was amazing to be in that movie. I'm a Star Wars guy. I'm not a Harry yeah, Potter yeah, yeah. guy, right? I, I love both. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm never got into Harry Potter. Are you getting into it now? I've watched the first four movies and I can't wait to see the next one. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. No time working too much, but yeah. <laughs> um, are there any tools that you use in your business, whether that's software or, you know, in your, you're in the manufacturing, so any type of mm-hmm. physical tool that you use that you just couldn't live without? 
or CNC machine. CNC. Yeah, anything you can think of, I can draw it. It can cut it. For the people that don't know, please uh, elaborate on that. If you sure, could. sure. It's a computer-driven uh, router. So you put a sheet of plywood on the table, and you send a program out there based on the drawing you did, and it'll cut any shape you can you know you draw. And then you take those shapes, those parts, and you create the structures. So today we we cut out uh, a large, like a four foot tall five and a zero, and we cut um, two of each. And then we put stick framing between them to make them 12 inches deep. And then we put skin around the outside. So now I have a large number 50 that's going on a display uh, for ESPN up to New York next month. I oh, know this. Oh, my God, this month. Um, so we're building this uh, for 50-50 ESPN uh, women in sports over the last 50 years and about inequality and all that sort of thing. So that machine cut out the 50s today and they're already framed out and, and ready to get paint. Yeah, that's awesome. Um what are the most transformational changes that you're looking to make in your business? Let's say over the next 90 days or so. 90 days, find a building to move into yeah. or, or get a land and, and get a builder that we can start putting. I mean, without that, we are going to be capped. I, I've turned down jobs because of our capacity and it's, it's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. So right now, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, keeping that slow growth, that slow, mm -hmm. steady growth. It seems right now that now's a time for, to push that a little bit more. It is. Than maybe it was it in is. the past. We've moved six times in 12 years. Wow. I don't want to move again. So incremental, small, I don't take big risks. So I've moved slightly bigger each time. And now it's time to, I want to quadruple the size we are. Wow. I'm not wow. just doubling, I'm quadrupling now. Yeah, for that further. So you yeah. have more expansion in the future. Exactly. Got it. Um, do you have any habits that you employ on a, a daily or a periodic basis that kind of ground you or keep you sane as a business owner? I keep lists. I, I Everything is written down and, and I check my list every morning of what needs to happen that day or, mm -hmm. or I'll put a, you know, this is Tuesday, this is Wednesday. Everything is scheduled out for my week so that, you know, something that can wait will, but something that can is, is on the list. Uh, and I check that list, you know, throughout the day to make sure I'm hitting my marks every day. Uh, that and I don't go 24 hours without a return phone call or text or email nothing goes longer than 24 hours. And if it's the same day, you know, if it's, if it's it, to me in the morning, you get an answer by the end of the day or a response. Yeah. If it's afternoon, sometimes it'll fall into the next morning, but the communication with clients, with vendors, with employees is, you know, that is a habit that I won't let that you know, fail. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. I, I really enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, so let the people know if there is any final thoughts that you have, any, you know, advice you want to give or um, anything that you want to plug. So the next minute is yours. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, as far as advice, have a dream, follow it and, and don't give up. You know, just you if, if the first and most important step in, in winning is believing you can win. I don't know who said that. But it is a, a, a quote that I you, put. You said it, John. <laughs> I said it, but I didn't say it first. Uh, I, I keep a, uh, a quote on my office door every week. I change it. And I put something like that inspirational for the guys that they come in in the morning and they walk past my door and they see that quote. And you know, I, I try every week to change it to a new one, but that's what's on my door right now. And, uh, you know, if you think you can do it, then you can do it. Make it happen. Awesome. 
Well, uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thanks for coming to the show this week. If you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all the major platforms. If you want to write to us, our email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. And if you follow us on Instagram, it's at Leverage and Beverage. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and you've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time.